Some of us take our enthusiasm as sports fans and make it almost a religion. Coming up on Good God, Brad Sham, the voice of the Cowboys, gives us some perspective on the right relationship between faith and fandom. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, the host, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Brad Sham. Brad, thank you for thank you, George. talking with us again this week, and it's, uh, it was a delightful beginning to our conversation, uh, but we were really beginning to probe uh, the last time uh, this whole idea of, of how Jews and Christians in particular, and Muslims as well, uh, there's more interfaith relationship going on in our communities now, less maybe balkanizing in our separate corners, uh, but we're, we're starting to learn from each other more. You and I had some experience with that as we first got to know one another on a trip that we took together uh, with a, a larger group from Temple and, and, and Wilshire Baptist. Uh, when we went to the Holy Land, yeah. Israel and Palestine. It, is, it will forever be one of the greatest chapters of my life. Yes. First of all, um, to be able to learn from you and David, right. who, who to me are faith image, mirror images of each other, that, that's just a really rare experience. You're right. both so gifted and, and come at it, come at the same thing from different perspectives. Right. Which was really the point. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it didn't take long at all. Now, people should understand there were 49 Jews and 49 Baptists. Right, right. That does not, <laughs> going to Israel, that does not sound like the recipe for tremendous World success. World peace and yeah, all it of that. It did yeah. not take a day, yeah. from my perspective anyway, for people to begin to see that we are more alike than different. Yes. The thing that excited me very early in the trip was, okay, you all did a great job of planning the curriculum, planning the itinerary, mm -hmm. so that your parishioners would see the things that you and David and Nancy decided were the most important mm -hmm. Jewish sites to see. Mm -hmm. Most of us had seen them at least once, yes. not through the eyes of people uh, who hadn't been to those specific places. Right. They may have been to the Holy Land before, yes. but they would not have gone to see some of the things that you took right. us to. And similarly, mm -hmm. uh, so to see things that were, that were at least theoretically known and common to us, but through, it, it really was the most like my son growing up, seeing the rediscovering the world through the eyes of a child uh -huh. that I had ever experienced or ever hoped right. to. Right. Because this is all stuff you know, but you don't know it the way he sees it. Oh, look. Well, maybe there's something there for you to see oh, that you and, haven't and seen. And how many before. times did we all experience that? Where, you know, uh, I would read a portion of scripture in the synagogue in Capernaum, and we would be talking about this, and David would hear the same text, and and say, you know, here's the way that I hear that in my right. hearing of it, in my understanding of what might have been going on there, and how rich was that? And similarly, yes. we, we went to the places that you would have gone to naturally on a trip mm -hmm. to the Holy Land that we would not have gone to. 
And we not only got to be exposed to those places, thoughts, ideas, but through the eyes of people to whom it was foundational to their existence. So when you, in our last conversation, you were talking about uh, Jesus talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. Well, we sat there. Yes. We did, right there on the now, Mount of Beatitudes. I, I, yeah. Yes, and exactly. I'm telling you, as a yeah. Jew, that is one of the most profound experiences I've right. ever had to think that this is where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, exactly. here. Right here. And, and it, then to have you teach true. from that and give right. us a, uh, yeah. and then David did the same thing for your right. parishioners. And so that, to me, was the richest mm-hmm. experience I've ever had, and the thing that it, uh, drove home, and we all talked about it amongst ourselves, which is exactly what you wanted us to do, right. uh, was how much alike we were. There, right. Yes, of course, there are things we approach differently. There may be some things that we fundamentally believe differently, but not in the essence of one worshiping one God right, right. And, and where we're all going at the end. And I think that as our culture becomes more strained, yes. Uh, and, this is where I wanted to go. And yeah. for us to understand yes. that that the mm-hmm. all of the Abrahamic faiths right. have the same stake and approach. Yes. And all we have to do is just listen to each other. Well, that, that's really right. I mean, we, we have, there, there seems to be a competition that has been at the heart of too much of our culture uh, that, that, that needs somehow for me or my group to have the upper hand. Uh, and th- it's fine to make claims to truth as long as those claims to truth are universal claims. Right. That is, include everyone in this, not a claim that is designed to privilege one people over another right. people. Right. And this is, this is why even though uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures speak of Israel being a, an elect people, a, a, a chosen people unto God, the question, the issue is not so much that they were specially chosen for their own purposes, but for the sake of the world, of, of bringing the, you know, the, the truth of God to the world. And, and my presence as a, a believer in this God is, this, is the success of, of Jews. And, and by the way, remarkable. by the way, there's plenty of teachings that indicate that Jews weren't the first choice. Well, <laughs> there, were, there were two or three others, who, okay. other groups, the Israelites, yeah. Other people said, yes, we'll do it if, if this. Uh-huh. And no, we don't want to do it. Yeah. And so then God, there's uh-huh. there are tea. I don't offer that as truth. I offer right. it as a, something that's taught. Right. The, okay, well, you here, look. I'll tell you what. We'll have a covenant. Yes. Okay? Yes. Covenant means I'll take care of you, but you got to do this stuff. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, well. It, it's, it is a beautiful thing because I think uh, it, the more we learn to do that with one another, and we're doing that in Dallas, Texas right now, in increasing ways uh, of cooperation, of listening, of talking, and working together side by side, uh, we are helping then to model uh, for the larger community how to get past being a Democrat and a Republican, being a, a, this version of a Republican and this version of a progressive, and this, you know, these, these ways in which we, we can't figure out how to serve each other in restaurants if we disagree. We can't figure out how to, you know, it's, it's incredible. But if people of faith look, teach people how to do this, 
it changes things. And that's why the faith part of it is important mm -hmm. to me. I know that you have differing of you have weathered storms. You have you have encouraged the storm in your own church <laughs> yeah. over some some issues that you right. thought were just fundamentally important and couldn't right. be avoided. Right. Knowing that it would right. raise tensions. But without the raising of the tensions, there's no way to expose people to listen to each other and see what we might get out of the listening. We right. have the same thing because in our culture now, as you mm -hmm. said, we we tend I saw this on television the other night, and it, it, it doesn't matter what someone says now. It matters who says it. Yes. Do, right. what, what is it that you want to say? Let me see. Who, who agrees right. with that? Then I'll listen to the words. Exactly. And yes. that's, that's backwards. Right, right. Well, it, it's interesting. So in the work that you do as a, as a, a sports broadcaster, Cowboy's Voice and all of that, I know you've just, on your podcast, you've just been talking with Dale Hansen. And Dale is a person who's been finding his voice to address public issues, social issues, and all of that. You do that in your own more subtle way most of the time. But, uh, but here again, you and I were talking off camera about this and how uh, a lot of this is uh, that people listen to Dale because he's Dale. It, it, not because he's a celebrity only, but because the things that he says sort of run contrary to people's expectation of this privileged, right. rich, white male. Right. Right. And therefore, you know, Nixon can go to China. Yes, exactly. So uh, in, in, it, it, there is a sense then of responsibility that each of us has about our roles, who we are, sure. and what we do, where we can't just say, well, you know, I have this position, so therefore I can't speak, I can't uh, oh no! I think you have to. I think that yeah. it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I think forums being given to us mm -hmm. uh, not just encourage. I think that they demand that mm -hmm. we speak responsibly, mm -hmm. uh, but thoroughly from from the heart. And uh, you know, I know because we were talking about it off camera that we. I, I have a very strong feeling that as sports fans, we're just misguided. Mm -hmm. We. We only respond to who raises the trophy. Yes. That's it. Right. And uh, look, I've been a Chicago Cubs fan for 60 years mm -hmm. or more. And, and still go up for games all the time. I do. I go, yeah. I go for a couple of series at mm -hmm. least twice a year yeah. if I can. And that's taught me that the enjoyment that I get from it is not about the winning. That doesn't mean I don't want them to win. Of course right. I want them to win. Cubs win, Cubs win. Cubs win. Sing the song, fly the W. Yeah. But they went, they won the World Series two years ago. My mother was 91 at the time. I said, Mom, in your lifetime, they haven't done this. <laughs> well, if you're going to be a fan of a team that doesn't win for that period of time. Right. It really does force you to evaluate what it is that you're in it for. Right. And I run into this with cowboy fans all the time. All the time, yeah. All the time. The only acceptable and when people say to me, you know, I just want them to make the playoffs, I say, you're lying. Because if they make the playoffs and they lose a playoff game, right. then you want everybody fired. Right. And if they make it to the then you say, well, I just want them to get to the championship game. They haven't right. been there in 20 something years. And no, you're lying. Right. Because if they lose that championship game, then you want them to get to the Super Bowl. I just want them to get to the Super Bowl. No, you're lying. 
That's not all you want. And if they get to the Super Bowl and win it, you somehow will get some kind of a lift in your personal identity from that. And then 10 minutes later, you'll want to know how they're going to do it again. Where is the experience and the experiential enjoyment? Where is appreciating the art form for its own sake, for the teamwork, for the lessons learned, for the artistry, for the gifts they've been given and their willingness? Yes, I know they're getting paid for it. So what? They're sharing those gifts with us. We're watching them perform for our amusement. Right. Uh, where's the enjoyment of that if the only thing that matters is who hoists the trophy? We were talking about the World Cup off camera. Argentina looked like they weren't going to get through. Now I've got Argentine friends. I the thing I love about the World Cup is the true elementary passion right. that drives different oh, countries. Lionel Messi, without question, universally regarded as one of the top two players in the world in the last five, five or six years, 31 mm -hmm. years old. Since he's been captain of Argentina, they haven't won the World Cup. Now, as they were on the brink of maybe not advancing, now we're getting treated to commentary, printed and oral, about Messi as a failure. Right. How is he a failure? Right. He's the greatest player <laughs> in the world. Right. He's right. And, and he's not playing tennis. And he's not playing by himself. That's he's, it. He's this is not an individual sport. and coaches. Exactly. And the other guys are getting paid. Okay, but, but you know there's a biblical word for that. Yeah. It's called idolatry. Yeah. It's, it's when you yeah. make something so important to you that it affects your sense of your life and worth and value, and you have to feed that, and it will never satisfy. But th and that's the key. It will never, never satisfy. satisfy you. I tell kids all the time trying to get into broadcasting, don't follow money. Yeah. You know how I know not to follow money? Because the people who have all the money, they want more money. Right. So having all the money must not be the answer. Right. Follow your passion. Right. And you'll probably be making enough money. It's exactly idolatry. And what saddens me is that in our pursuit of those idols, we forget about the richness of the rest of the experience. And I don't know if it's overly broad to say that when, when a Jew decides that they are going to identify as culturally Jewish. Now I'm being judgmental, which is not something that we're encouraged to do. Uh, if, if a Jew says, I am culturally Jewish, and I'll prove it to you by going to the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. By the way, where we're going for lunch after services right. on Yom Kippur. Right. And uh, you're missing the point. Right. You're missing right. the whole experience. You're mm -hmm. missing the reason for being there. And I think as sports fans, we tend to do that. So I've, I've had the luxury, I know we're tight on time, I've had the luxury the privilege for 40 years of watching, I'm watching these Cowboys yeah. players and coaches, what they put into it. I just respect what okay. they do. I, I want us to follow up okay. on that and also the work that you do and how you are finding joy just in the doing. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. We'll do that when we get back. Thanks. Okay. New Friends, New Life restores and empowers formerly trafficked girls and sexually exploited women and children by providing access to education, job training, interim financial assistance, mental health, and spiritual support. Find out how you can help. 
by visiting newfriendsnewlife.org. We're back with Brad Sham, and Brad, we were talking about um, this idea of ex enjoying the game for the sake of the game and for the just the, the entertainment value for the appreciation of participation and even as a fan to to, to learn how to, to to do that without investing your sense of self-worth in yeah, it yeah that's and all the, that that's, and I by the way I, I don't want anyone to think that that I, I don't like it when my team wins right yeah right. we yeah, yes, of course we do you can be angry you can be sad you can be it's there's another one coming right and it, and what's wrong with you to the point you just made what's wrong with you if you take a team losing personally right because I got news for you except for some soccer games Someone's going to lose when we right. walk out on the field, right? And and I'm absolutely convinced of one thing: God doesn't care who wins. Ah, uh, okay. Well, we'll go there in a minute. I, I was thinking about the, you and I were at uh, the uh, uh, regionals for the NCAA yes. basketball yes. game. Yes. Yes. And so my University of Miami basketball team lost in a last-second shot to uh, the, to Loyola. the team that I was there to cheer you for. You were there to Loyola cheer for. Right. We Chicago were on opposite team. sides, right. and they went on to yeah, you know, the final four. Right. Had a great tournament. But when, when we saw each other right after, you looked at me and you said, "Now, I know your team lost, but didn't you get your money's worth? Yeah. Wasn't that wasn't, wasn't that, that what this was game? about?" And I thought, exactly. I mean, it, it, there, it's impossible to have been there and not felt the adrenaline, sense that this is what it's all about. When we yeah. have a tense game yeah. that is meeting professional expectations, right. many times my broadcast partner, Babe Laufenberg, and I will say to each other on the air, right. isn't this great entertainment? Right, right. It's a game. It is. It is There's plenty of other stuff going on in our world that's not a game. This right. is a game. Right. But when we go back to this vocation, this is not just about the game. It's also for you about a 40-year career now yeah. of broadcasting the Cowboys themselves. And I've had the privilege of being right there behind you occasionally because you've been generous to let me come into the booth and a standing uh, listen, invitation. Listening, listening to uh, you do your work. But, but this, is, this is part of the joy of your vocation, too, of, of being able to have that bird's eye view of, of this and to share it with other people. And you and I have talked about retirement before. We're not that far apart in age, but uh, the, you know, people, people seem to crave stopping what they do uh, and think about how, how soon can I quit and you have a different view of that. Uh, completely different. And, and, and people, when we reach a certain age, if we're not thinking about it, everyone else is asking <laughs> exactly, about it. Exactly, right. When right. are you going to retire? Right, right. And no, no, I don't want to retire. I, unlike you, I don't play golf. Right. I don't fish. Right. I have hobbies. Right. But I love what I do. When yes. I was a kid, the reason I got into this business was I had an epiphany one day when I was about 14 living in Chicago, watching the Cubs and the White Sox on television every day, that the announcers were going to the ball game every day. Ah, wow, look at there. 
Yeah. I want to go to the ball game every day. Right. It right. had nothing to do with making a living. Right. No one talked about money. Sure. They just listened to them. Listen to the fun they're having. Right. They're at the ball game every day. Right. Right. Well, that's just for the sheer joy of it. When the Cowboys had a stretch of years, three and a year, uh, years in a row. Dave Campo was their head coach for five and eleven every right. year. Dreadful. I remember I used to walk down the steps at Texas Stadium park and come in at ground level and walk down the steps to the stadium and thinking during that stretch of really frustrating, sometimes just bad football, God, I love this. Right, right. You know, just, God help me, I do love it so. And I, t- I had a conversation with Campo, who, who's the coach of this team that's 5-11 right. and 11, three yeah. years in a row. And I said, do you, he said, I have the same thing. Yeah. Every time I pull in the parking lot, I think I can't believe I get to do this. So I've never told you this, but uh, you know, when I was at the University of Miami, and I was playing football, and I had a did you know that I, I had a, know that? I had a, a, a very forgettable career, but uh, but but one time, I, uh, looking back on it, I remember uh, that the great Mel Allen was going to call one of our games. And he must have been in his mid-80s at this point, right? What do you think? I, I, I'd have to do the math, and I'm horrible at math. I'd think right. he'd been a little younger than that, but okay. Maybe, maybe so, but he, to me, as a kid, yeah, he, he was like an old, he, yeah. No, no. But yeah. now, now, Mel Allen, you know, uh, this, this is a voice and a presence and a personality. He's the reason a lot of my peers got into the business. I, exactly. And even growing up in New York and, you know, listening to, to him, he was a bigger-than-life figure, and, and here he is, and he's going to broadcast this University of Miami football game, and I don't even know who we were playing, maybe Notre Dame, but you know, uh, whoever it was, I, I did have the thought. He's sitting there talking to me the day before the game, wanting to know the names of people, asking questions about how to anticipate what we're thinking about doing and all of this, and, and I was a kid, but I thought to myself, this is Mel Allen. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a college football game, and he's asking all these questions. He could probably wing it, but that's not who he is. That's not how he got to be Mel Allen. And he was, uh, that was impressive to me, that this is who he was, and it's what he did. And the two of those things, I often say to people, you know, this is what vocation is. The, the difference between an occupation and a vocation is, an occupation is a job you can do. A vocation is is something yeah. you can't not do, right? Because right, it's right. it's who you are. It's actually a preoccupation. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it, it's just who you are. I told you a few minutes ago uh, off camera when Bill Parcells in two thousand three became the coach of the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Um, CBS sent Mike Wallace down to do a sixty minutes piece on him as a follow up to the piece Wallace had done on Bill when he was with the Giants. Yeah, oh, I'm going to get to meet Mike Wallace. And so Bill introduced me, and he said, and he said, pointing at Wallace, he said to me, he wants to die at the mic. Yeah. And I said, what's your point? Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Of course he yeah. wants to die right. at the mic. Yeah. You know, that's all there is. Now that's, but the richness for me, since the show yeah. is Good God. Good God. The richness for me is that's not all there is. Right. Because the, for me, and the gratitude that I have for the various steps on my faith journey over the last 12, Mm -hmm. 13 years has taken me to a place where that's the foundation for me. Okay. Someday, 
And one of the things that, that drove me early in the journey, but not at the very beginning of it, was the realization that you, no matter how much you love what you do, it can't be everything. Yes. Because in 99% of the cases, someday someone is going to invite you not to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Now, if your job is who you are, when you don't have your job, what happens right. to you? Mm -hmm. But if, you, if your foundation, I speak only for myself, not, but if your foundation is faith, yes. when you're not doing your job, you still have your foundation, you have your reason, the right. richness for doing the things that bring you more visceral joy. It's not that study and worship necessarily bring every single time visceral joy, but they do bring peace. Okay, now you're moving into an area I want us to talk about because you and I have both been uh, around the sports arena enough and athletes enough to know that that's an understanding that's hard won about faith. That many athletes uh, treat faith instrumentally. Uh, it's uh, a means by which, almost superstitiously, uh, to uh, somehow get God on their side and to, you know, gain an advantage and bargain with God that if I do this, you do that for me right. and this sort of thing. But you've been at this with the Cowboys for long enough to have seen some people who've gotten it right. People who have impressed you about that. Yeah, what would you a, say? The, you know, there's a lot of them. Um, mm -hmm. Tom Landry's the first thing that comes to mind sure. because he told his players that, that it's faith, family, football in that order. Uh, Roger Staubach walked mm -hmm. that walk. Troy Aikman walks that walk. Jason Witten walks that walk. Mm -hmm. But there are others that are not as famous. There was an incident, um, I think it was just last year, when uh, Anthony Hitchens, who's now with the Chiefs, mm -hmm. and uh, Kayvon Frazier, uh, and, um, and I think it was Justin March Lillard, a, a backup linebacker, mm -hmm. uh, got baptized at the Star. Wow. And they had been imbuing themselves in their Christian faith mm -hmm. for a, a long period of time, and, mm -hmm. and the chaplain baptized them at the Star, and, and they are now vocal about living their faith. Right. So, you know, if you say Tom Landry and Kayvon Frazier, it has much different impacts. Mm. My contention is, uh, to God, it doesn't matter. Right. Now, there are some like Aikman and Witten and, and certainly Tom, and, and there have been others. John Kitna comes to mind. There yes. have been others. Right. Uh, who who walk their faith quite demonstrably. Mm -hmm. And there have been a number of them, and, and none of them, in my experience, ever thought that God was going to influence the outcome of a game. Right. None of them ever said, if you'll just let us win this game, right. I will fill in the blank. Right. You know, you, you pray for being able to do your best. Maybe you pray for good health coming out of it. Mm -hmm. and, and even that is not mm -hmm. something I don't believe. That's not something God determines. Sean Lee is a very faithful man. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there have been a, there have been a number of them, a number Wonderful. of them. Wonderful. Well, there's, there's 
plenty of examples of people who, uh, who, whose faith may be absolutely genuine, but it, 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 it's, it's mostly plastered on their eye makeup or, right, uh, right. You know, their eye, and, or, or people who are holding up um, placards and stands that you know, they're using opportunity to bear witness to that. And I don't want to be super critical of that because everybody has to figure out how they can demonstrate that it, in, in the different walks of life and ways that they can that they're uh, honoring God. But it does seem to me that some of these folks that you've mentioned do understand that their faith transcends the game, it transcends the, the success that they have, uh, it, it gives them sustenance for failure uh, in times of failure, injury, loss, those sorts of things. And sports becomes a crucible uh, for people to discover how genuine it really is, isn't it? Yeah, and um, Tony Romo was another one whose name yeah. I would add to the list, and I would think that Tony would probably tell you that his mm -hmm. faith experience from the time he came into the league to the time he got married yes. evolved. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and I think all of those people um, live according to the notion that I'm, I'm going to put everything I have into winning this game, having a good year, doing the best on this play, mm -hmm. and it's not my life because my relationship with God is my life. Well, it's something I learned early on. Is, uh, you know, I, I used to like to say, Brad, that um, I'm the last uh, University of Miami quarterback you'd ever heard of, uh, also the poorest, but none of them is a Baptist preacher. There you go. And uh, I wouldn't trade my life for theirs. And I know you wouldn't trade yours for anyone else. No. Thank you for all you mean to all of us in the community, for our friendship and for the witness to your faith that, that we all value so much. You're welcome and right back at you. Great. Thank you, Thanks, George. buddy. Appreciate okay. it. You bet. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. New Friends, New Life restores and empowers formerly trafficked girls and sexually exploited women and children by providing access to education, job training, interim financial assistance, mental health, and spiritual support. Find out how you can help by visiting newfriendsnewlife.org.